Welcome to Gateway Church Cymru, a church where anyone can be transformed by the story of Jesus. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. And tonight we're going to continue the series that we've been going through on a Sunday night, which is called Revive. And this series is all about revival, and it's a, a subject that's very close to my heart. And you know, I believe that revival isn't just an event that's that's happened in the past, but I believe that God is going to cause a revival to happen even, even in the days to come, because he's promised it, that in, his, in the last days, he said he will pour out the Spirit upon all flesh. I believe that with all my heart, that God is going to move one more time. I believe that the Welsh revival of 1904 isn't going to be the last Welsh revival. I believe that with all of my heart, that God is able to do it. And so over the last few weeks, we've been looking at revival, what it is, some of the key components of revival, and, and tonight we're going to continue looking at the ingredients for revival. You know, the Bible says that there's some things that we can do in order to prepare for revival. You know, revival is all of God. It is a complete work of Him. It is a work of His Spirit. And, but there are some things that we can do as a people of God to get our hearts ready for what God is going to do, to prepare the ground. And so tonight, if you have a Bible, can you turn to Luke chapter 24, please? Luke chapter 24. We're going to read from verse 46 to 49. Got a bookmark, put a bookmark in that because we're going to also read in Romans chapter 6 and we're going to read verse 1 to 4. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, it's going to be up on the screen behind me as well. But Luke chapter 24, verse 46 to 49. And this is Jesus speaking to the disciples before he ascends into heaven. And he says, And he told them, This is what is written the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send to you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 4, again, it's going to be up on the screen behind me. And he says, this is Paul writing, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may, uh, may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Oh, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live you know, as I said, revival is a complete work of God. Revival is an awakening. It's a revitalization. It's a return to a form of glory within the church. Revival isn't for the lost, even though it affects the lost. Revival is for the church. It's when the church gets cold, gets religious, gets stuck in its ways, and forgets God. And God comes in special times, in his moment, in times of grace. He'll come and he'll move by his spirit and he begins to awaken the hearts of the people again, to love him again, to put him first again, to seek after him again. God, revival is God-initiated and God-led. But as I said, there's some things that we can do as a people of God to get ready for revival. And we've looked at different ingredients like prayer and worship and humility and all these different things. And tonight, we're going to look at the fifth and sixth ingredients, the final two ingredients for revival. And the final two ingredients for revival 
are repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. After appearing to his disciples after his resurrection, Jesus, he opened their minds uh, to understand the scriptures. He began to speak to them and he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he told them that the message of the gospel was to be preached to all nations. This was the message that he was going to give to his people, to all those who believed in him. This is the message that we have, the gospel, that Jesus died, that he rose again, that he's coming again, and that whoever puts their faith and trust in him shall receive eternal life. That is the good news of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, as John 3, 16 tells us. That's the message. That was what the message was, and that's what the message still is. That there is forgiveness of sins for all humankind. You know, this is the greatest thing that God has left us as the people of God. It's the gospel. You know, we can put on many programs. We can do incredible things as a church. We can put on a great production, or, or, you know, we can do many things. But, you know, that won't change people's hearts and lives. We can have great songs, but that won't change people's hearts and lives. You know, we can run all these different ministries and do these different things, but that won't change people's lives. But it is the gospel that has the power to transform lives. It is the gospel. That is our main tool. That is what we use as the people of God. And that is still what we stand upon. It is still what we use. The gospel is not outdated. The gospel is more relevant than ever. And the gospel is more needed today than it has ever been. It has still got the power to transform lives. There is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The true gospel, gospel of Jesus Christ. Not a watered down gospel. The true gospel of Jesus Christ. And that true gospel says that if we repent of our sins, then there is forgiveness. We can have forgiveness of our sin. We can have a relationship with our God. We can be made new creations. And we can have the hope of the eternal life with Jesus Christ. You know, thank God this evening for his grace, for his mercy. To all of us who have, who have repented, we who have repented this evening, we know that we have a hope tonight, that we have been forgiven. You know, there's a song that, say, that we used to sing as a church, I get so excited, Lord, every time I realize I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. You know, it's a classic song, bit of a classic tune, but there's truth in that word. There's an excitement when it comes to realize that there was nothing I could do to save myself. I was going to a lost eternity, I was going to hell, but for the grace of God, and the time when I heard that good news, that gospel message, and he saved my soul. It never gets old. Salvation will never get old. There is power in the gospel. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. Not because of what a church has done, or a preacher has done, or a person has done. We are saved because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It is all because of him. Are you glad tonight you're forgiven? Every wrong thing you have ever done, and you will ever do, come and you repent and you ask Jesus to forgive you, you can know forgiveness of sin. You can know total cleansing. You can know new life in and through him. You might say, what is repentance? It's a bit of an old-fashioned word. It's a word that's not often used these days, but what is repentance? Well, repentance is simply turning away from our former self-gratifying way of life. It's saying, I'm not going to live that way anymore after the things that I want. I'm not living from myself anymore. Repentance is turning away from that life and is turning to God and saying, God, I want to live for you. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to know Jesus and I'm going to live for him and I want him to live in and through me. 
That's what repentance is. It's a changing of direction. It's like where they say, as many preachers have used, the example of a sat-nav. When you're going the wrong way, it says, please make a U-turn where possible. Or Siri might, I don't know if Siri says it actually, but the old sat-navs used to say, please make a U-turn where possible. That's what repentance is. It's when we come face-to-face with reality, that we are sinners, that we go into a lost eternity, and we make a change in direction through the grace of God, through hearing the gospel. We make that change, and we start living for Jesus. But we see, as Jesus put it, it's not just a question about believing in Jesus. It's not just saying, Jesus, I believe in you. That, that's not just going to get us into heaven, saying, Jesus, I believe that you are Lord. It's actually, Jesus said, it's repenting and believing in Jesus. It's dying to self and living for God. It's saying, I, as Jesus died on the cross, I'm dying to myself. And you know, we are recognized in the same burial and we're going to live for him. As he was raised to life, we will receive new life in and through him. And you know, it's not just a question of repenting, but it's repenting and believing. We need both. We need repentance and faith in our world. You know, without this balance of repentance and faith in the Lord, we end up with two extremes. There are two extremes. Unless we have both of them, there are two extremes. On the one hand, we have a group of people who believe in repenting and say you've got to repent and that's it. People who are so steeped in tradition and legalism and there's nothing you can do to make yourself right with God and you've got to keep repenting, keep, 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 keep doing this. But those people will never get any peace They will never get any true joy. They will never get any relief. Because all they ever hear about is the things that they've done wrong. You've messed up. You're a sinner. That's all they might hear. And so they keep repenting. They keep repenting. But they never experience that life, that joy that comes in and through knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's the one extreme. A group of people who says, you've got to repent. And you know, if you think that that happens far away, it doesn't. It happens even within our very body. It It can even happen within our church where people are so caught up on what we are doing wrong, instead of pointing people to know Jesus and the light that he can bring. So often we can condemn people rather than pointing them, yes, saying that they've done wrong, but also showing them the light and the freedom that Jesus brings. On the other hand, if we just preach about faith and we just speak about faith without repentance, we end up with people who talk about Jesus and yet still live in sin. As much of that going on in the church today, there's a lot of people who are living two lives. They're living two lives. They're living, yes, I believe in Jesus. He's my Savior. But they're living like devils the rest of the week with Leonard Graham and Morgan Phillips. You know, we've got people who are so caught up and living in sin, yet they proclaim they love Jesus. It's because they haven't yet the message of faith and repentance. They need to be both. You know, there's evidence in their life. Those people carrying on living, living in sin. And it's because they've never been convicted of sin. Many churches today don't preach about repentance. Don't say that you have to die to yourself. Don't say you have to turn away from your own life. Many churches don't say that. They just say, believe in Jesus and you know forgiveness of, you know, believe in Jesus and you shall have eternal life. But they never experience that conviction, which, which divides our soul, which divides our spirit, which says, God, if it wasn't for you, you know, I'd be going to a lost eternity. They need that personal and it's evident in their lives. So the message that we have as believers is one of repentance and placing our faith and trust in Jesus. That's the message we have. Yes, we, we preach that you've got to do your life right. Surrender your life to Jesus. 
but also we preach that Jesus can save. Jesus can transform. In him, we can know forgiveness of sin. You know, it's sad, as I said, there are many preachers today, many Christians today, and many Christian leaders who try not to confront people on this issue, try not to pull people up on this. And, you know, I heard, uh, speaking to my grandfather before, I remember him saying that, there were, back, in, back in the day, I just say this, back in the day, there were many great men of God within our church who would pull people up for, for not living the right way, would pull them to the side and tell them to get their lives right. They, we need a bit of that in the church today. We need a bit of that, not to condemn people, just to point people in a loving way back to the Savior. Not to judge people, but to help them to find Jesus and find who he is and find real life. We need a bit of that today, but there are so many people who are afraid to confront people with this message. Why? Because they're afraid that their churches would be empty. They're afraid that they wouldn't have the multiple thousands in their congregation. So they want to keep the, the people there. They want to ple- preach nice messages. They want to have a nice church service without telling people, you need to get your life right. You need to sort this life, your life out. You know, we've got many people in churches, even up and down this valley, who are singing the songs, who are lifting their hands to Jesus but they're living in sin. And they're unrepentant, and they don't care. They don't care about it. They just carry on living how they want. And they, they lift up their hands on a Sunday to please so-and-so, so-and-so, and to look good, but they're living any way they want the rest of the week. You know, God's not through this. Our God knows everything. He sees everything. He's the all-seeing God. He knows our hearts. He knows our lives. You know, there might be many people amongst us, even tonight, who are struggling with sin. We need to get around, especially mature believers. And I'm not talking about age levels who have been walking with the Lord for a long time. We need to get around those who are struggling with sin and help them, not judge them, pray for them, help them, guide them along the way. Young believers need it more than ever. You know, I need it. I, even as a young person now, even though I'm a pastor, I still need guidance. I still need direction. I still need teaching. I still need help. We all need it. We're all on that journey. We need to help one another. We need to be shown mercy to strengthen one another. You know, but there are many people today in our congregations who say, you know, I, I believe in Jesus, but don't tell me, you know, I'm doing wrong. My life's fine. You know, I can carry on living with that person even though we aren't married. I can carry on drinking. You know, I can carry on doing this and doing that. I can carry on looking at that stuff. It doesn't matter. But our God sees. You know, as the people of God and as a church, and, you know, even as pastor, and I, I want to tell you tonight, we can't live that way. We can't live that way. You know, if we are going to see a revival in this land, and you know, I believe it with all my heart, we need a revival of holiness to go back to the things of God. You know, it says in, Psal- in the Psalms, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Those who have pure hearts, pure hands, clean hands, pure hearts. That is what our God is looking for. And it still hasn't changed, but we can't make ourselves just by coming to Jesus, and he cleanses us, and he forgives us, and he changes us. You know, people might say today, oh, you're judging you know, we live in a, in, a very, in a world which is very politically corrupt, where it's difficult to stand up and speak out. But you know, as the people of God, we can't shy away from what God teaches in his word. We've got to stand on his word, and we can't be ashamed of that. In this time where there's a rise in LGBT, when there's a rise in breakdown in marriage and, and all these things, we can't stay silent. As the people of God, we've got to stand for our faith. Yes, we will face persecution, we will face difficulties, but we can't shy away from what God has said in his word. Why? Because God loves this world, and he doesn't want them to go to a lost eternity. 
It's not so that we might say we are better than you or we know what's best. It's not saying that. It's saying God loves you and you're going to go to a lost eternity. So get your life right. That's why we say that. You know, Paul's are showing more and more. We see all these polls that are taking place more and more there that people, even in churches, aren't living the way that they should be living. You know, there's no different, little thing between people who are in church and those who aren't in church. And it's not only by those gross sins that we commit, it's gossip, the way we speak, the way that we are, the negative, it's all these different things. We're no different to the world around us. But God, we need a reminder so that God would shake his church again. That we need, might be a holy people, separate people, a people who are different, a people who are walking by the Spirit and not by the flesh. A.W. Tozer, he once said, a whole generation of Christians has come up believing that it's possible to accept Christ without forsaking the world. Why is that? Why is that? Because repentance has never happened. You know, there's a song again that says, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. That's the way we're going. If we're going to live for Jesus, we're going to surrender to Jesus. If you don't want to live for him, carry on living how you want to live. But one day we all will stand before him. One day we will all face that judgment. The cross before us, the world behind us. We need, as a church, we need as a people to get back to that place of repentance. And I thank God this evening, what happens when we do fail? When we sin, you know, even as believers we sin, we will fail, we'll fall ourselves. What happens? The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. That's what God desires. He needs us. He's a God who needs to come to us. But you know, we don't use that as a, as a license to carry on sinning then. Just because our God forgives doesn't mean, okay, I'm going to keep doing, living in this sin. Now, when we repent, it's actually saying the same thing about the sin that God says about that sin. It's hating the sin just as God hated our sin. And if you want to see how much God hates our sin, just look at what Jesus did on the cross. The punishment he took for you or for me. He hates sin. If you think God accepts sin, you'll tolerate sin, then you're wrong. God hates sin. He hates it so much that he cut himself off from his own son. Where Jesus cried on, on the cross, uh, you know, why have you forsaken, Father, why have you forsaken me? He, he cut himself from his, off from his own son because of his sin. Because Jesus bore our sin. Not because of his own sin, because he bore our sin. God will not tolerate. But thank God that God will forgive. He will change. And that's what repentance means. It's saying, God, I don't want to live like that anymore. I want to agree with you on this. I want to see sin as you see it. I want to see this as you see it. I want to live for you. I want to enter into all that you have for me. And let's thank God that when we do fail, he is faithful to forgive us of all of our sin. You might be wondering tonight, how is all of this linked to revival? How is repentance of faith, all of this linked to revival? Well, revival is always intimately connected with repentance and faith. There's no true revival without repentance. There is no true revival without repentance. Revival is a spiritual revitalization, as I said, but there's always a process in revival. And it includes an increased awareness of who God really is, in his holiness and perfection, and our own sinfulness and ungodliness. That's what happens in revival. We see God for who he really is, and we see who we are for who we really are. When we come into his presence, we see how sinful that we are. 
and how poorly and poor he is. You know, I believe we take God for granted so often. We think that he's like us, but he is not. He is not like a man. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords, but he is holy. He is holy. That is the God we serve. He is a pure God, holy God. And it is only because of the blood of Jesus that we can enter into his holy presence. Otherwise, we will be burned up if we entered into his presence because of our sinfulness, because of our flesh. We would be burned up if it wasn't for Jesus. There's always a connection in revival with repentance. Always, 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 always. You know, you read about it, any revival, there's always conviction of sin. Always people coming before the altar, crying, convicted for sin uh, of their sin, repenting, turning to the Lord. And that's what happens in true revival. One well-known revivalist, Charles Finney, you might have heard of him. He repeatedly spoke of repentance as an integral part of revival. And he said, revival is the return of the church from her backslidings and the conversion of sinners. It's when the church repents of their sins and it's when sinners repent of their sins. That's what happens in revival. There's this incredible sense of revival. He also said the revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance, followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God. It is giving up one's will to God in deep humility. Always an interval of repentance. You read about thousands upon thousands of people coming to the Lord, the church genuinely and not playing games, taking off the mask and saying, God, we, we're not living right. Is something not right? But there's always a desire then within the church once they've put their lives right to go and reach more and more people with this good news, with this message. You know, there's a, a gentleman named J. Lee Grady and he said this about the Welsh revival. He said it was, it was marked by two profound characteristics. First, there were waves of conviction which drew people to repentance. Often sinners wandered into the meetings and immediately knelt Imagine that. Imagine tonight that people would come in from the street and as soon as they came in from the street they would be at the, the bottom of this pulpit and they would be bending their knee crying out to God to forgive them. Imagine that. That's what happened in revival. That's what happens. People don't mess around. They don't hide. They don't shy away. They get their lives right because they know God can see their lives. Second, Christians felt an urgency to share Christ with everyone around them because of the reality of hell and God's judgment. They seemed almost possessed by the love of God for the unconverted. You know, there's another thing that's not preached that often. Hell is a very real place. And those who don't accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior are going there. Those who deny Christ are going to that place. And there's such a burden that happens to go and reach people. It's to stop them from going to that place. Such a burden. So as we come to a conclusion tonight, you know, many of us even here this evening would say, we, we enjoy hearing about revival. Many of us here tonight might say, we long for revival. But I wonder, do we long for these two essential ingredients? Do you long for repentance? Do you long for, the, for God to begin to convict you of that? Do I long for God to convict my heart and really get my life right? To, for us to really get our lives right. Do we really long for that this evening? Do we long for brokenness? Or do we just want church meeting? Do we long for brokenness? Do we want there to be a deep awareness of our own sinfulness and 
a real sense of God's holiness and his presence within us deeply. You know, I've heard stories of how in revival, people would cower in their seats because the presence of God was so strong. And they felt their own conviction say, you know, that God who who they were afraid of, is a God who still saves, who still loves, who is longing to restore, and he's bringing that conviction so that we might know him and might turn to him. You know, as I've said, this picture might seem doom and gloom tonight. It might seem grim tonight. But I also want to mention tonight that there's a real deep joy that comes when we really turn to the Lord. There's a joy that comes from only, where only comes when we really turn to the Lord. A joy which can't be made up, which can't be manifest. It's a joy that comes from knowing Him and knowing the forgiveness of freedom of sin. You know, I've experienced that in my own life. It's like a weight being lifted off off your spirit. Has anybody ever experienced that in their life when they surrendered their life to Jesus? It's like a weight being lifted off, off, and it's like something new is happening. That's what happens. It's a joy. You know, I long for this place to be filled with the joy of the Lord. There'll be a real freedom in God's presence, and that's always a true mark of revival as well. But you know, tonight, first point, if we want that joy, we need to know that we know the God. And I can't get real with God for you. Just you. Only you can get real with God. Like I said, one day, none of us, you know, we all won't be there when we're standing before the Lord. Hopefully, I mean, we will be there, but you know what I mean? That we won't all be there, you know. It'll just be you and him face to face. And then we'll be asked in there. You know, when he opens that, the Lamb's book of life, there's none will be there. I wonder tonight, you know, I wonder, are we longing for revival? Are we praying for revival? Are we expecting revival? Do we expect it to happen? You know, I expect it to happen. I believe it will happen, but we need to get our lives right. Not us in the church. I long for revival. You know, we need revival more than ever. We don't need more ministries or programs. We need God to come and just move and do what he wants to do. That's ultimately what we need to do. And we as the church, we need to get back to the gospel and preaching about heaven. You know, tonight, I'm going to end with this quote. Charles Spurgeon, he once said, People on earth hate to hear the word repent. Those in hell wish they could hear it just one more time. That's a, I don't know about you, but that's something that stirs up a little bit. Those in hell are only longing to hear that one more time. But we up here, we hate that. You know what I mean? Tonight, I believe God wants us to I'm not thinking to the unsaved here tonight. I'm thinking to every believer. It doesn't matter if I'm a pastor or whoever. We need to get our lives right with the Lord. Only then can God come. Only then can God move by His Spirit. Only then can God begin to break in this place. 2 Chronicles 10, 14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, will pray, will seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from then I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Shall we pray? Thanks again for listening to this podcast. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe. And check out our podcast channel for past episodes. For more content from Gateway and to connect with us, go to gatewaychurchcumry.co.uk. Have a great day.